Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well in song of worshiping Jesus Christ. We turn our attention to God's Word now, uh, to Romans chapter 10. And uh, Harvest Traverse City welcomes you, by the way. Uh, I'm uh, Doug Long, for those of you who don't know me, pastor there. And one of the things that I'm excited about is the growing uh, camaraderie between uh, churches in northwest Michigan. And now Harvest Fremont, super excited about that. And uh, as you find your way and your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 10, I hope you have a copy, by the way. If you don't, uh, just lift your hand up as the ushers are coming back. They have a, a Bible for you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, that'll be uh, Harvest Spring Lake's gift to you. And uh, we want all eyes on God's Word. Romans chapter 10 this morning on this subject, saving faith. And I love how God is at work here. I'm excited to preach on this subject as well. It was... Two summers ago, we had a momentary lapse of wisdom as a family. Uh, we decided in our annual Oklahoma 4th of July road trip that we were going to pull an all-nighter. Primarily now we had four drivers in the house, and uh, that was a win, so we could alternate two people stay awake at the same time. And um, we decided to leave after uh, work on a Friday night, and it was late. I was worn out from the week, and we were going to drive, and so... Other family members who will remain unmentioned decided they were going to drive first. Well, I was trying to sleep, and uh, I awoke suddenly uh, to, hey, Dad, we might need some help, um, because we had made it all the way to the bottom of the lake and uh, somewhere around the Indiana State Dunes area, um, and trying to turn off to find a gas station. We were, it was about, at this point, 11 p.m. at night. We were stuck in what I can only imagine was a concert over the 4th of July weekend on the lakefront somehow was exiting and literally thousands of people were right up on our car and we had navigated ourselves right to this spot where we, could, we were stuck for an hour with no possibility of even turning around as these thousands of people just kept coming and coming and coming and they're making their way out and I'm like, we can't even make a U-turn, we're stuck. So on a long drive, you don't want to be stuck an extra hour where you can't even turn around. That's not fun for me. And um, so that was the first time I thought, okay, fine, we can figure that out. So I'm going to catch some more sleep and I'll drive um, after the next stint, but let's at least get to St. Louis. Well, I woke up as a 2.30 in the morning and we were circling Bush Stadium at 2.30 in the morning, not the spot I wanted to be as a family. And so we were circling Bush Stadium and, hey, Dad, I need some help again because the, the navigation on my phone, we were stuck in this construction loop. And it wasn't putting us back onto our highway to get back to Oklahoma. We were just stuck. And so needless to say, at that spot, I'm like, okay, fam, here's the deal. I'm driving. I kind of pulled a dad and took over. And um, why? A couple reasons. One is I wasn't sure if I went to sleep where I'd wake up. <laughs> and, and I knew where I wanted to be. And I knew the roads that I wanted to take to get there. I knew the destination, but I had no confidence that when I woke up, we'd actually be there. And, and so for those reasons, I took over. Now, that's a silly way maybe to introduce the subject of saving faith, but I imagine that in this room, there are some people that in the moments of your uh, quietness, maybe putting your heads on your pillows at night, that you might question um, your destination where when this life is over, where you'll wake up to. Or similarly, maybe some people who are questioning your confidence. You know where you want to wake up, but what's your confidence level that you'll actually get there? I want to speak to those this morning, and I want to bolster our understanding of what it means to have saving faith. What does it mean? Listen, on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your confidence 
in the fact that you're a Christian. Like you have a relationship with the one and only Jesus Christ. You're confident of that. Is it a 10 where you're like, no one can rob me of this. I'm so confident no one can. I know it, I know it, I know it. Old preachers would say beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you know it? Or, or uh, maybe you're less on the scale. You're like a five or even maybe a one. Like I have no confidence all or I'm scared about it or I don't know and I want to know. Listen, this sermon's for you. Saving faith. It's interesting because... God wants us to know and have confidence in it. In fact, 1 John 5.13, it says, I'm writing these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, our enjoyment of the journey of this life between now and heaven or eternity and all that God has in the future, our, our, our enjoyment of that journey depends on our confidence level of whether we know the destination or not. So, it's interesting because... Um, a few years ago, ABC did a poll, and um, they polled uh, U.S. citizens, and they came back, and they said that, do you know that 83% of the U.S. claims to be Christian, Christ followers? 83%. Yeah, we're Christian, we're Christian, we're Christian, we're Christian. I just kind of scratched my head at that. For sure, that's way high. 83%, really? Well, it's inter- interesting because a public religion research poll from last year, 2017, came back with only a slightly less number. It was 69%. Basically, 7 out of 10 Americans claim to be Christ followers. Now, I don't know what your experience has been, but don't you see, at least a little bit, a a massive gap between what people say they believe and are and between how they actually act? There's a gap, a massive gap. People who say that Jesus is Lord and yet they're following only always their own idea of how to live life. There's a gap. I want to close that gap also this morning. And I'm on the, on the same track that the Bible several times in the New Testament is on. Titus 1.16 says there's people who profess to know God but deny them by their works, but not deny Him by their works. They profess it, yes, I'm a Christian, but if you looked at it in the sum total of their existence and in their life, you can't determine any difference between them and someone who isn't a Christian. How do, we, how do we close that gap? Not just that, 1 John 2, 4, uh, the Bible says that whoever says I believe or to know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So what do we do this morning? How do we know that we have saving faith? It's interesting because in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul is writing to people uh, and, and that, that know other, another group and he was writing so that they would know and not just know but have confidence in it. Listen, look in verse 1 of Romans chapter 10. It says, brothers, my heart's desire. Catch Paul's heart here and my heart for us today. And prayer to God for them. This is the group he's talking about. Is that they may be saved. That's my prayer for this morning. If you don't know Christ, you would be saved. For I bear wit- them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I just wrote in my margin, it's possible to have a zeal for God and go to church and be part of a small group and be baptized even and be serving in the church and not actually know him. Verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, that's a person of Christ particularly, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, he explains it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. By the way, we don't want, none of us want that righteousness, by the way. I mean, if you just take the top 10 commandments, the first commandment is have no other gods before me. And for sure, I've never always, always put God first in my life. And not a one of you have either. So I'm in, in a rough crowd this morning because we're all together in this boat of not wanting really, if we're to, to live by the law, it's very scary because none of us can match up to the law. That's why Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He's the only one who came and lived a perfect life. So he goes on to say, he goes on to say that uh, uh, those that live by and does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, a little cryptic here, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, basically, let me interpret that because it's a little distant from us in our culture today. What he's saying is you don't have to search high for the righteousness of God, and, or you don't you have to think of some mystical experience uh, uh, to find God. You don't have to search the depths uh, of, of everything that you know to find God. It's, he's, he's, God came in the flesh. It's Jesus Christ. Look to Him. And He says the, the, that's the righteousness of faith that we preach. He says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And you need to underline verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, what, saved. May God bless the reading of his word. Overarching umbrella of the sermon, I want to unpack a few things. One, uh, what saving faith is not. Uh, another thing that I want to unpack is what saving faith is, and if you don't have it, how to get it. And then what does a life look like if you have saving faith? So those are some of the, the big ideas we're, we're, we're unpacking in this text in your notes, and I hope you have a pen and paper, notes in lap, and here we go. Uh, saving faith always, 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 always embraces relationship with God. Saving faith embraces relationship with God, hugs it, stays close to it, embraces both arms, close relationship with God. You've heard the term, it's not religion, it's relationship, and I feel that's so common in church world that it just kind of goes over our heads. But listen, are you this morning embracing your relationship with God? Like, do you love it? Is it on your heart? You're embracing it. Like, oh man, I want more of it. Because saving faith always does that. It embraces relationship. Did you see the opposite in verse 2? It says those have a zeal for God, but not knowledge of Him. Listen, there's a little bit of fear in that because there's the possibility of actually doing a lot of things in the name of Christ and under the heading of, of being serving for God, and yet actually He comes up to a spot that says, I, I never knew you. Actually, I know I'm not far away from, from truth and what I just said to you because in Matthew, Jesus Christ says the same thing. He says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, uh, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Saving faith embraces relationship from God. So zeal's not enough. Listen, jot this sentence down. There's many who believe in God but don't know him personally. Don't you see that? That's the 83 or 7 out of 10 who, yes, we believe in God, but yet they don't have saving faith that knows him personally. Many who believe in God but don't know him personally. And there's all kinds of substitutes for faith, isn't there? Jot these down. Uh, in the text even it says this, there's moral faith. Think of it, verse 3, it says they're trying to have a righteousness of their own. A righteousness of their own? Like they were trying to be good enough somehow to please God as if we can be moral enough to please God? When Jesus Christ is the only righteousness, that's why in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says that by, faith, by grace you're saved through faith. It's the saving faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It's God's. It's a gift from him. Listen, there's no possibility of us being good enough so that God goes, oh yeah, you're in. You're my kid now. That's not ever true in the Bible. The what's true in the Bible is placing as saving faith, which is a hope and faith placed fully on and solely on the person of Jesus Christ who did and lived perfectly according to the law. And God said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on and bring others with you. Everyone found in Christ has the hope of glory. So, so we have, we have a, a moral faith sometimes that creeps into our culture, even in good churches, where it's like, hey, do this and do that, and then you're in. God forbid that that should ever be part of the gospel. It's not. It, it says it's a gift from God. Doesn't a gift imply that it's given? You don't have to work for it? It's just given. That's saving faith. And so it's not moral faith. It's, it's, there's no hope in me living a perfect life. We're done with that. We all fail even... Commandment number one. It's also not cultural faith. I see this. I see cultural faith. Um, and in Traverse City, we, we have a membership process. Maybe it's similar to here where um, we have, when someone uh, commits to membership, we have an, an elder or pastor that sits down with them, and we want to hear the testimony. Testimony of what? How they have saving faith. That's what we want to hear. And we get a lot of answers back that are pretty interesting. And for those pastors and, and elders who have that process, you, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of elders, well, I've always been in church. Maybe you have a zeal, but you don't have knowledge of him or a personal relationship with him. Oh, oh, oh well, my grandparents went to church. My parents took me to church. Listen, going to church is not the criteria by which you have saving faith. In fact, it's totally possible, and this is so common in our culture, especially great Western Michigan culture, where there's church background and a lot of church history. But listen, just because your grandparents or your parents knew someone doesn't mean that you know that same person. Just because your parents or grandparents had a relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you automatically have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a knowledge about him and know about him, but not have that personal relationship with him. So there's a cultural, well, Pastor Doug, I, I, I've been to church. I went to Christian school. I went to church camp. On and on and on and on. Listen, hanging around people who have a relationship with God doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. 
but yet that seeps into our culture and seeps in and, and infects it. Well, it's not just this, maybe more popular and my personal favorite. It's not just moral faith or cultural faith. How about this, consumer faith? It's this, this is super popular, the spare tire Jesus, where you don't think about them until you have a flat somewhere in your life. Oh, no, is it in the trunk? Yes, it is. And you've done no maintenance on that at all. You've done, had no relationship. It's just there in emergency only. Listen, this is so popular. Do you know that actually Jesus didn't save us to help us with our agenda? He actually saves people to take those same people, get them off of their agenda onto his kingdom agenda. Oh, that we would push back so far from this kind of consumer mentality in our relationship with God, where it's more like deal-making or, or bartering, where if I do this, God will do this over here. No, listen, his relationship is a gift. It's a gift. Saving faith is a gift. You're not bartering or negotiating. And when, when, listen, if you have a Jesus is my co-pilot sticker on your car, I give permission for anyone else to right now to get up and go out and rip it off. He owns the jet. He doesn't need to sit in the co-pilot seat. He's not there in emergency only like your spare tire. That's not the relationship that saving faith ever has. It's not just there in the background like I got Jesus for some insurance against hell and insurance that I'll go to heaven, and that's the extent of the relationship. If that's true, you've never met Jesus Christ. And when that, by the way, when your world, when you're deal-making and the deal doesn't go the way you expect, the end result of that is people get angry at God. And then they peel back, well, yeah, I, was, I, tried to, I, I, I did my thing with God, and he never came through with me, so I'm disappointed. And it leads to even infecting other Christians who want to have a great relationship with God, but it kind of leads to this partial surrendered life where God can have my Sunday mornings, and I still want to do just enough to know that I'm okay, but yet not enough for him to be actual Lord of my life. It leads to this. One of my father's favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Those two verses together has become mine. And here's so here's a translation that is the partially surrendered version, okay, of these verses. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Just some, not all. And lean on your own understanding. And in some of your ways, acknowledge him. And you will make straight your paths. Listen, wouldn't we say eight, seven out of ten people call themselves Christians, but yet don't you see how so much of our culture lives life with God as an emergency, God only, but not relationship with him? The real translation, the real Bible says this, <laughs> this is the ESV, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean at all, do not lean on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So let's push away from this consumer Jesus mindset, insurance Jesus only. Listen, it's not this. If we have intellectuals in the house, um, you have uh, higher ed education at multiple levels. Listen, um, sometimes we get into this mode where it's an informed faith, but not a transformed heart. 
Be careful of that, where it's all theory, it's all mental assent, it's all routine and religiosity, but there's no heart change. It's a lot of information, but no transformation. Listen, real saving faith, did you see verse 8? It says it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. There's a heart change that takes place. That's why all the way to I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's never in here. Well, my faith is private. Eh, not biblical faith. Doesn't happen that way. That's not saving faith biblically. It's in my mouth. I'm confessing. That's why I love the stories of baptism. People who stood up unashamedly, who finally got it. Listen, I know what God did for me. How can he do that publicly for me and me not publicly live for him? They get it. The penny dropped in their hearts. So it can't just be here. It has to be here. Have you had a heart change in your life? Have you experienced saving faith? If you haven't, maybe you haven't experienced saving faith. So what is it? What is it, saving faith? Uh, it's, it's this. It begins two, two ways I want to describe it. First, first way, it begins with fear of God. Saving faith always begins here. You have to have an understanding of what the fear of God is. Now, for me, I I know that when I say fear of God, some of you are thinking only wrath, anger, frustration with God, or God's frustrated with us somehow, and you think of fear of God, and that doesn't compute because we don't use that same language, fear of God. But interestingly, in the book of Proverbs, do you know that fear of God is always a positive? Just always a positive. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is is a fountain of life. The fear of God leads to life. The fear of God, on and on and on. It's always a benefit. So we better get this fear of God thing, and salvation starts with this. Um, The way I explain it is in an equation. The fear of God is respect plus love equals the fear of God. Respect plus love equals the fear of God. The, the way I can explain it best, I think, is um, my relationship with my father. Now, I don't know what kind of father you had. I have a great Christian dad that when I was four and five and even six sometimes, there's something I knew. There was a respect that I had for my dad. I respected his word. When I was told, hey, Doug, don't step over the curb and go into the street, and I did, as a four-year-old, I learned right quickly, my dad always kept his word. And he would enforce his word through loving discipline. But I learned to trust the word of my dad that it was gold and what he said, it was 100% true. And he would follow through. There was a respect that was right in that. But listen, fast forward a few years when I uh, started, I got a car when I was like 14 and a half and it was a beater and I was going to fix it up and that was going to be my car. But I could afford it. And, and my dad, I saw his love for me because he would work he got up at 5 a.m. and would work sometimes till 6.30 or 7 p.m. at night and then grab a quick dinner and he would join me in the garage. And we, had, we rebuilt the engine in this thing. We did all kinds of work. And he would work sometimes until 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? You've got to get out of bed at 5. You're only going to get three hours sleep. And he's like, yeah, Doug, I've got to get you on the road. Translated, Doug, don't you know I love you? I love spending time with you. I love doing these things for you. I love the relationship with you. I understood the respect. His word was still 100% true. There's a respect of my dad. There was a love that I knew my dad gave me. I respected not just who he was, but I, 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 I respected what he did. That's fear. Fear of God is similar. Where you know who he is, he's the creator. He's not the man upstairs, my buddy on high, not none of those things. He's, he's God the creator. 
who knows what every cell in your body is doing, who knows exactly how He made you and connected you together. He knows what makes you tick and what brings satisfaction and joy and hope to your life. He knows all of those things. That's God. And he's, he's, there's a judgment coming. But He's also, have you seen His love? Has your heart been overwhelmed with how much He loves you also? Where you see Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus Christ did that very thing on the cross. Do you see what God did for you? Respect who he is. Love what he's done equals fear of the Lord. You've got to have those things at, at a basic level in your heart for saving faith to get planted. But it's not just that. The Bible also teaches there's repentance and a belief. Repent from what? Repent from what? Saving faith requires repentance and belief. In fact, all through the book of Acts, particularly at the early church, we have it's repent. Every one of you, repent, 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 repent. It's repeated over and over again. Why, why, why? That your sins may be blotted out, it says. Several times in the, just the book of Acts we have that. So what's the big deal about repentance? I know this church preaches this too. What's the big, what's the big deal? Well, repentance is simply a turning. If I'm facing you and I repent, that means... I'm not facing you anymore, I'm turning. Doesn't the turning automatically mean to turn to something else? So repentance is a turning from sin and self. Repentance is that, it's a turning from sin and self. Now some of you, saving faith was ushered in because you saw some sin in your life that you knew wasn't gonna satisfy anymore and you're like, I'm done with that, I'm turning from sin. And I think in churches, in my history anyway, we've done a great job of, of preaching and teaching on sin and how God saves us, and we are in desperate need of a saver, Savior. That's why we have salvation. Some people don't like that word, but literally, we weren't just like needing to improve self. We were drowning. We were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 1 says. Hopelessly lost. And God saved us. That's the sin part. But listen, don't you know that we don't just need to turn from sin? We also need to turn from self. From me, running my life and God just helping me run my life. We're turning not just from sin, saving faith also embraces turning from self. I'm turning from my way, from my gripping, from my control in my own life, from my agenda in my own life, and I'm turning to kingdom agenda. I'm turning to follow Jesus Christ. That's repentance, turning from sin and self to do what? To trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Why? Because we need a Savior for our sin. But listen, we're in desperate need of a Lord for myself. Because I'm a terrible Lord. I don't see what God sees. And yet we can trust Him because we know that He sees beyond any of our visions. Any of the, what we can see, He sees before and backward. And he, He's the Lord, the only one worthy of our trust. The only one that the foundation will be sure. So saving faith, that's what it is. Have, have you experienced those things? Have you experienced the fear of God, the respect and the love and your heart overwhelmed? And have you turned from sin and self believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Now, what does it look like to have saving faith? What should our life be like? Listen, saving faith is the spark. It's the igniter for a growing relationship with God.
it's not just many people believe in God but don't personally know Him. It's many have also had maybe an experience with God but aren't growing in Him. How's your relationship with God? Listen, you will have on that scale that I asked you about, scale of one to 10, where are you in your confidence level? You'll never have confidence in your relationship with God if you're not actually actively growing and pursuing that relationship. It's not good enough for you to rest on some experience that you had 10, 20, 30 years ago and say, That's, I'm a Christian, then I'm good, and your life remain unchanged. It never works that way. Let me give you uh, an illustration. I have... Um, uh, for a while, we lived in, in uh, Texas, and I used to eat lunch there at a kind of a shady little diner slash cafe place, um, and uh, there was, I don't know quite how to describe it other than there was corrugated metal for the walls, there was picnic benches for tables, there was um, chickens running around the dumpster in the gravel parking lot, that kind of place, but the food was spectacular, okay? So it was worth going, and for six bucks, you got like a gallon of sweet tea because that's Christian, and and, and so, so listen, that's where I go to lunch. Well, one day I was eating lunch there, and guess who rolled in and sat right next to me? This guy. See if you recognize this guy. I'm like, what? I look over, and Lyle love it, my man. What's going on? I didn't know you ate here. I'm Doug. I'm a pastor in the area. Nice to meet you. I didn't know you ate lunch here. And he's like, yeah, I have a ranch right down the road. And, and uh, I come here a lot, actually. And I'm like, well, I never knew. And he's like, well, nice to meet you, Doug. And I'm like, nice to meet you, Lyle. How's Julia? <laughs> and and <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't appreciate that. So the, the point is, I can tell you now, honestly, I have met and I know Lyle Lovett. Maybe the most famous person I know. I don't know. I know Lyle Lovett. Let me ask you. That was probably 15, 17 years ago, I guess. How, how much of an impact is the fact that I have met Lyle Lovett affecting my life today? How much? Zero. In fact, if, if he met me today, he'd be like, who are you? It doesn't affect it. The fact that I had an experience, we sat at a, at a table and our elbows were touching. And I saw what he was eating. We, chair, we shared a chicken fried chicken together. <laughs> it's like, woo-hoo. Hopefully it wasn't caught in the parking lot. <laughs> Dumpster to table. <laughs> so, so the idea is, listen, I, I, I've met him. I, I know him. It's, I'm, it's not lying. I've, I've met him. My fear is that there's Christians who have met Jesus Christ but aren't growing in the relationship. And something that you're banking on that happened and experienced 20 years ago, you have no confidence in the fact that you have saving faith. Because saving faith always is, are these things. Jot this down. It's, it produces a new nature. It produces a new nature. There's a change inwardly. It's in our hearts. It's in our mouth. Listen, you'll care about what you didn't care about before. You'll wake up to truth that you haven't seen before. That's saving faith. Have you experienced that? Uh, I, I, an inward change. Listen, if one of your angelic children or grandchildren were going to a gardening nursery and they go by and rip all the tags off of the fruit tree section, and I happen to stroll by a few hours after and the, the nursery owners are like, man, we have no idea what kind of trees they are because they're just twigs. There's no leaves, nothing on them. Uh, I don't, we don't know. We've got to mark these down. And I see the deal. I'm like, 80% off. Yeah, baby. I'm going to plant some fruit trees. We don't know what kind of are. It's kind of like we're going to have fun with this. It's an adventure. And I say, honey, come on. I brought some fruit trees. She's like, what kind? I don't know. I'm like, hmm. 
She's not so happy with me. But I plan them, and three to five years later, and we're really hoping for an orange tree. And three to five years later, that tree produces apples. What kind of tree is it? It's an apple tree. Like if you had fourth grade biology, you know this. I mean, it's by nature. It's an, it's an apple tree. By nature. The inside, what was inside, invariably always, always works out to the outside in the fruit. Listen, pre-Christ, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, our nature would only produce sinful things displeasing to God. That doesn't mean that we couldn't do some good. doesn't mean we had no levels of love. But it, it means that the fruit that was produced was inherently selfish and focused on sinful things. When we get saved, our nature changes so that on the inside, the fruit that we produce is more like Galatians 5. It's fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and, and, and kindness and, and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and, and self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit. Why? Because we have a nature change. Can the people that you live with and that know you the most, can they see how you are growing in your relationship with God so much so that you're producing fruit that are spiritual fruit of gentleness and faithfulness and goodness. Can they see that? Because if saving faith always produces a new nature, that's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old has passed away, behold, all things are become new. Now also, uh, saving faith always in, it endures for a lifetime. It endures for a lifetime. Like you're not getting off this train, uh, your destination is secure, your enjoyment of the journey will depend on whether you're actually growing in your relationship with God or not. Just like my enjoyment of how much I loved my parents sometimes and my enjoyment of that relationship was contingent upon whether I chose to step over the curb and go into the street or not. God's kind of the same way. He disciplines those whom he loves if they get out of step. Listen, listen, it, it endures for a lifetime. The book of Hebrews is all of that. That's why in verse 11 in chapter 10 of Romans it says, listen, um, you won't be put to shame. Destination is secure. You're going you're to wake up one time because you've, you've, you met Christ and you're going to wake up. It's going to be okay. But listen, your enjoyment of the journey, God calls us to the abundant life to enjoy the journey. And maybe he's trying to get your attention even in this sermon. But listen, it's not just enduring for a lifetime. Saving faith does that. Saving faith also, listen, look this way. It's a posture, not a prayer. It's a posture, not a prayer. It's an ongoing posture of, of your heart and your mind. It's an ongoing position that we find ourselves in. God, I'm yielding again. You're not the co-pilot. You're not there for emergency again. God, I want a vibrant relationship with you. Oh, you might, you might try and push it to the background. You might be scared to take a step of faith. You might be doing, okay, fine, but you're always coming back. It endures. And it's a posture. You're coming back to the same posture. Let me, let me describe it. Sometimes, sometimes parents, in Harvest Traverse City, we got a lot of littles running around. It seems like our highest demographic of the church is 30-year-old with 10 kids. And I don't get it, but something in the water up there. And we, 
So a lot of times parents will ask me, hey, Pastor Doug, how, I, I, I want to determine if my kid's saved. And we, we pray to prayer, but I don't see any change. And I'm like, listen, don't trust in the prayer. Trust in the inward transformation that takes place. Do you see a change in their attitudes? Do you change, see a change in their heart? Do you see any type of fruit starting to develop? Salvation is not given to you because you prayed some magic prayer. It's given to you because you've trusted and placed your life in the hands of the person of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. It's not found in a prayer. It's found in Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of like this. Most people in this room are seated. Most are seated. How do you know? Is it because you can go back to a decision you made at the point an hour plus ago when you came in and go, I'm going to sit in this spot? Oh, I choose to sit down. And you sat down. Is it because you're, you're remembering that you had that decision? Most of you, you're not, you weren't even cognizant of the fact that you're choosing to sit down. You just kind of do it because we're creatures of habit. How do you know? How do you know that you chose to sat down? You know you chose to sat down at that point of decision. You know you made the decision because of your current posture. You look around. No one can convince me. No one can convince you that you're not seated. You look at your life and you go, I'm seated right now. Does that make sense? Salvation is the same way. How do you know that you're saved? How do you have confidence in that? How do you hit that 10 mark on the scale of, of, of assurance and confidence. Well, look at your current position. Are you seated? Listen, there's only two positions in this room. Either right now you are standing, gripping control of your own life, or you are seated, resting in the goodness and lordship of Jesus Christ. What's your current position? Saving faith always brings us Repeatedly, it begins with a posture of being seated, trusting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it continues time and time again. God, I see this, and I so want to grow in the relationship. God, I see it. Do you have saving faith? A vibrant, growing relationship with the God of the universe. You remember my Lyle Lovett story? I met Lyle Lovett similarly. I'm... I, uh, but it has zero impact on my life today. Uh, unlike that, do you know that I, I met my wife? And when we started dating, I, I, uh, I got to know her a little bit. I learned about her family. I, I started to, to, to push in and press in on relationship with her, and we scheduled some times to, to meet, and we, we did fun stuff together. And we, 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 we started during that dating, and I knew her, I knew her then. But listen, can I tell you that after 25 plus years of marriage that I know my wife now much better and to a richer, more full of joy, more satisfying degree than I did even back then. Listen, to this, right now, if, if my wife, I, I, I pick up the scent of her perfume and I know it. I hear her voice even in a crowd. I go, that's my wife's voice and I'm drawn to it. I, I, I recognize looks that none of you would, would recognize at all. I know the look of the, the little head tilt that can be like, really? Again? Or I know the kind of head tilt forward. You did what? <laughs> but, but listen, also, I, 
I know the look of sadness. I know when she's trying to be a good listener, but she wants to speak. I, I, see, I see points of frustration that, not, why? Because our relationship has grown over the years, and it's way more beautiful now than it was even back when we were dating. Can you say the same thing about your relationship with God, where you see him at work, where you recognize his voice in increased ways? Sometimes it's still a small voice, sometimes opening his word and going, oh, I need to do that. Some, do you recognize how he's at work in your life and in, in your circle of influence of people and relationships? Do you see God to a greater degree now than you did whenever you say that you have saving faith if you have it? Do you recognize that your days are now completely rearranged where the the, the quantifier of whether it's a good day or not is not because you got things on your to-do list done, but the, the ability to determine a good day was based on the fact that you got things done for his kingdom and for his glory. And at the end of those days, it's like, yes. Is that the kind of relationship you have? Because that's what saving faith brings. An ongoing, it ignites an ongoing relationship. Now, here's what I know. It's true of... of Many, sometimes even Christians, step back from the fact that God has given us the best thing in the person of Jesus Christ, and we start gripping again things that we let down before, become organizers and lords of our own life and our own little kingdom with a population of one. And so here's the thing. Um, sometimes when we do that, we forget the goodness of God in all of that, and we start shopping. Have you ever, have you ever shopped? I've gone grocery shopping when you're hungry. Anyone else do that? That's a bad plan. It's just you should never raise your hand again to that because you should commit right now before the Lord and your wife that you will never do it. We learned that early in my marriage that I went shopping one time when I was hungry and we had like 60 bucks for the you know, week or whatever to go. And I, she sent me to the store with a clear list. Well, pff, who needs a list? Pringles, Doritos, Nutter Butters, all food from the Lord at that moment, right? God for sure ordained it at that moment. It was the best decision I ever made until I, and I cram it all down. Oh man, it's so, well, it was satisfying for a minute. And then the next day and the next week, there was no, nothing nourishing for the soul, nothing satisfying because I've blown it all. Listen, some of you right now, you can look at your life and you're going through the grocery store of life and you're super hungry and you're throwing all kinds of junk food into the cart of your life. And the thing that you most need is a relationship with God himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And you'll come up to a spot where you'll realize that's not the healthiest, that's not the best, that's not the best. And some of you have been doing that for years, and yet you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, he's the bread of life that once you taste of him, you'll never be hungry again. He's the living water that once you drink from that well, you're satisfied. Do you have saving faith that looks like a relationship with God himself? Do you have that? So I invite you this morning to seek it. Look at, the, look at verse 13. Chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't have that, won't you call on him? If, if you have maybe met him, but you see where you've placed him in a category other than Lord, 
Won't you repent of that this morning and say, God, I'm turning back again to you. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now that your spirit would move in the heart of your people and I ask that you would now encourage many who might be hesitant or or fearful in some way to call on your name. Lord, I pray that they would be bold and you give them saving faith to do just that. God, I imagine right now you're trying to get some people's attention And our only correct response is, Lord, we're calling on you. I'm repenting and believing in Jesus. I'm, God, I'm turning from sin and self now to Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, I imagine also there's a host of people in here who have met you, have had an experience with you, but aren't right now in the right posture seeking after things that won't satisfy and God would today be the day where we once again we place ourselves in the only rightful position and posture before you and that's on our knees before you recognizing that I control nothing you control everything and God we are gladly giving you the reins and the steering wheel of our life and God you take it and we're trusting you again We're trusting you with the relationship. We're trusting you with our finances. We're trusting and following you in all the ways that your word says. God, would you move? Would you save people who are lost and would you bring people who have met you but aren't growing into a place of humble submission? Do your work. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people said, Amen. Let's stand. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.